All right, everyone. How is everybody doing this evening? Man, I tell you what, I love to worship God through music. Uh, and one of the things I, I, I love is I know that when I say that, you understand what I'm saying. That you understand that worship is not just singing songs, but it's a lifestyle. Uh, and it's just so awesome uh, for us to be able to worship God in that way. Uh, it's something that's just truly, truly dear to my heart. And I don't know if you've been paying attention um, to the words we've been singing uh, this weekend. Um, but man, that first song we sang, More Than Conquerors, even just the way it's written musically, it sounds like an, uh, an anthem. Or like some armies coming, marching in. I just, every time I play that song, I picture just this, this great army, this great nation just marching that has just already been victorious. It's, I just, oh, I get so pumped up. And then with Dane on the drums, boom, boom, boom. I'm just like, yes, let's go take them. <laughs> so I, li- I really like that song. Um, and I think it's perfect for what we've been talking about this weekend. So I'm, I'm just going to, I just want to read just through it real quick, just because I like it so much, and I have the microphone, so I can do whatever I want. When my hope and strength is gone, when you are, the, you are the one that calls me on, you are the life, you are the fight that's in my soul. Oh, your resurrection power burns like fire in my heart. When waters rise, I lift my eyes up to your throne. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You have overcome this world and this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. Now, the first time I read and heard that line, I was like, mm, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't really know what that means. But the more I looked into it, and yes, grammar does matter in songs. It's talking about we're being defiant towards sin and to shame through Christ. And that's awesome. And it's scriptural, which is the most important thing. Um, you are the fight that cannot, you are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the power in our veins, our Lord, our God, our conqueror. I will sing into the night, Christ is risen and on high. Greater is he living in me than in the world. That should give us great confidence for what we talked about last night. Because he has overcome this life, and it doesn't matter if he's politically incorrect, because he's the one that matters. No surrender, no retreat. We are free and we're redeemed. The awesome thing about that statement is since we're already free and since we're already redeemed, there's no reason for us to surrender or retreat. I don't know if you, if you catch that or not. We will declare over despair, you are the hope. And then the chorus again, which is awesome. And it's funny, on this paper it says midsection, but uh, normal people call it a bridge. Um, it says, nothing is impossible. They are Irish. <laughs> nothing is impossible. Every chain is breakable. With you, we are victorious. You are stronger than our hearts. What a beautiful, beautiful line. Our hearts... Our hearts are weak, our hearts are fragile, our hearts are fickle, our feelings are all over the place. But he is stronger than our hearts. Beautiful line. You are greater than the dark. With you we are victorious. And then we go right back into that anthem of we are, we are more, not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Awesome, awesome song. I have no idea how that relates to what I'm about to talk about, but that's awesome. I love that song. Actually, I do know how it relates. That was kind of a lie. I apologize. So, before I get going, I I have, in light of what Philip said this morning, Philip did an amazing job this morning. Uh, I was very proud uh, and and very um, blessed just to hear the truth that the Lord spoke through Philip to me. Um, I have really been wrestling with coming to talk to you guys, and there's a reason why, and the reason why is completely sinful. The reason why I've been struggling to come talk to you is because of pride. I have so much respect for this youth group. I have so much respect for 
the leaders of this youth group uh, that I was afraid. That's one of the reasons I read uh, 1 Corinthians when I started was because I literally was coming to you in fear and trembling because my flesh and my pride was was just weighing me down and saying, you don't have anything to speak to these kids. You, you are going through this horrible season in your life. Um, you're, you're extremely discouraged. You're extremely down. There is nothing good that you could say, and you're just going to get up there, and you're going to make a fool of yourself. And that is 100% complete pride speaking. And so I say that to you before I start for one, to do exactly what Philip did, because that is not glorifying to God. Because like we established the very first night, there is nothing special about us. What is special is the Lord. And absolutely, he has something to speak to you. It's all throughout here. And absolutely, I have been called to come and tell it to you. And so I should, in obedience, come and speak it to you. And what's awesome about confession, what, what Philip was talking about um, this morning is that that glorifies God and it, it shows God for his glory and who he truly is because when we misrepresent that because of Christ we are able to confess that and receive grace freely so I say that to you this morning because I've been struggling and I've been nervous and I've been anxious and even today I was thinking golly man I gotta have some more stories I gotta tell some more jokes because Yikes, you know, like all I got here is just scripture, which that statement in itself is ridiculous. <laughs> so I lay that before you and, and I, I ask for your forgiveness uh, and I praise the Lord for his grace because I am a more than a conqueror through Christ. Uh, and I don't have to be uh, ashamed, I don't have to be condemned standing before you, but I stand free in Christ. Uh, so thank you guys again for, for having us. I know myself, my brother, and Tim, and Amanda, and Dane, and Hillary, and Chris, we've all just been super excited to come and be here with you guys. Um, and what it was cool, I was talking with Amanda today, and uh, I'm going to kind of put her on the spot a little bit. She, and she was just she was just bragging on you guys. And I say this to you to encourage you not to get a big head. So if, if, if your uh, neighbor is getting a big head from this, just put a spiritual needle in it to pop it. Um, but she said, I, I just am so impressed with this youth group. Like I, I've, I've never seen... I've never seen such a, and she was specifically talking about the college students and how there's this desire to continue to pour into what God is doing. Uh, and so I say that to you guys to let you know that, and I know that y'all have heard this because I remember hearing it when I was in youth. You are truly blessed. You are truly blessed by, by leaders who desire to show you the truth of God's word and desire to to encourage you to live an abnormal life. To not live a life that is looks like everyone else, that looks like the American dream, but to live a life that is just completely sold out for the Lord. And so be encouraged in that and trust what God is doing in your midst. So there's my little soapbox. So, I'm a communication major. We've established this. So, I like repetition because it helps you learn. And it may not be entertaining, but it helps you learn. So if you have a Bible, you're going to need a Bible. If you have a pen, you're going to need a pen. If you have a notebook, you're going to need a notebook, because we're going to take some notes. Okay? So theme of camp is? Excellent. We have that established. So um, yesterday, was that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday morning, what did we talk about? Bravery to defend the word. Um, the word is a credible source. Uh, and, and so I just, I, Tim had an amazing presentation, tons and tons of facts, but I pulled out the one that I found the most humorous. Um, so when you stack up our ancient biblical manuscripts that we have that, that verify the validity of the word, it's 5,000 feet high. And when you stack up the, 
the manuscripts that we have for not the non-biblical manuscripts, and this is before 1000 A.D., it's four, four feet high. So to me, in my mind, that fact alone puts to rest a lot of arguments. Now I realize there's a lot people a lot smarter than me, and that's why we need Tim to give us all those other facts. <laughs> But so, yes, so we, we've established that like 5,000 feet compared to four. That's not even in the same ballpark. That's like other sides of the world, like just astronomical difference there. So then we got to last night, and what did we talk about? It's when you were all sitting on the floor falling asleep. That's right, bravery to be politically incorrect, and we established that the word of God will be offensive to some people. It's inevitable. Jesus tells us, we looked at Matthew chapter 10, where he says this incredibly difficult thing to his disciples. He gets ready to send out, and he says, look, they hated me. They're going to hate you. The word of God, this truth, in some cases, it's going to devise families because some people are going to turn to it and some people aren't. And he talked about this difficult things that we're going to encounter and the fact that the word of God is politically incorrect. And if it ever becomes politically correct, it ceases to be the word of God and becomes the word of? Absolutely. You guys are doing great. And then, if you remember correctly, Jesus goes and the very next thing that he says after he says this is going to be hard, they're going to hate you, they're going to call you evil, they called me Satan, they're going to call you Satan. After he says all this, what does he say? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And he goes through and he, he just gives these beautiful things that we can grab hold of of how we can overcome fear. Then this morning, what do we talk about? Bravery to confess our sins and walk humbly in the light. Philip had an awesome, uh, I have a, I have a Philip Green quote here that I'm going to use uh, from now on uh, because it was just so awesome. When we have a greater understanding of God and a greater understanding of who we are in relation to God, then confession and repentance will be a natural response. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So just in case you weren't taking notes this morning, write this down. When we have a greater understanding of God and a greater understanding of who we are in relation to God, then confession and repentance will be a natural response. This is key. This is key. So here's how all of this weaves together. Okay, We've come to the, the uh, I don't know, whatever this is. We've come to it. <laughs> The end of camp. What's the point? What's the point? Conclusion. Thank you. What's the point of all this? So first, we've established the word is absolutely credible. That what is written in here we can take as truth. After that, we've established, established that in the fact that this is truth, there are things of this world that aren't truth and that are contradictory to the truth. And because of that fact, when we begin to speak this truth, in some cases we will be persecuted because of it because the world is going to try and defend itself. Does that make sense? Now here's why this morning was so key. Because if we're not careful, we can take that the fact that the Bible is politically incorrect, we can take that truth and the enemy can skew it just a little bit and it can be extremely damaging. And we can take that and we can begin to preach the word out of hate. And we can begin to preach the word out of pride. And we can begin to say, well, I don't care what you believe. You're stupid. You're a moron. You're an idiot. This is truth. And we can, we can begin to lose the fact that Christ called us not to decapitate people with the word of God, but to correct them out of love and to show them the truth. Like, look, because I care about you and because I love you, you've got to understand 
this is the reality that we're in. And that's why this morning was so key, because if we're not careful, then it turns into this, I got to hide my stuff and I got to appear holier than thou so that I can decapitate people and not and, and not look like a hypocrite. But instead, we're, we come alongside people and we be like, dude, you got this crap. Look at my crap. I'm right there with you. And it's because of that that I want to tell you about Jesus. Because we need a Savior. We can't do this. We can't be redeemed. We can't clean ourselves. In the process of trying to clean ourselves, we actually make ourselves dirtier. Imagine if you were trying to wash a white cloth with dirt. It just doesn't work. That's the situation we're in. We can't clean ourselves. We need a Savior to clean us. So that's why this morning was so key. So we come to tonight. After establishing all that, we must, must be brave to boldly share our faith and make disciples. We must boldly share our faith and make disciples. So, have your Bible, turn to Matthew 28. Everybody, a chance to turn there. If you need help, Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 16. New Testament. Matthew 28, verse 16. If you need help, ask your neighbor. Remember, we just established there's no shame in this place. It's okay. Sometimes I still have to use my table of contents to find the page number. There's a lot of books in there. We're going to start in verse 16. Everybody there? Okay, here we go. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I'm sure there are great theologians who can uh, say what I'm about to say is not right. So take this with a grain of salt. This is a Matt Green kind of a thing. But imagine this being like the climax of scripture. Okay, You know, in, in a literary book, you get to like the climax. It's like where everything's building up to it. Okay. And that, that's, that's the part I'm talking about. I'm sure there are theologians who be like, well, that's not the climax of Scripture, or this is, or this is, or this is. And I don't know. But just imagine if, if this, this is like what it's been building up to. Jesus is getting ready to go back with the Father, and this is the last thing he tells his disciples, those who are following Jesus, who are following Christ. This is what he says to them. And it's the same command that's given to us today as followers of Christ, as disciples, as followers of Christ. This is what he is calling us to do. But what's interesting and what's really neat about this, well, well, before we do that, so if you're taking notes, there's three things we're going to pull out of this, okay? And I'm going to go ahead and give them to you so you can write them down. So the first, the first we pull from this is the authority of Christ. The authority of Christ. Okay, second, the command of Christ. Command of Christ. And third, depending on the presence of Christ. So one, two, three. And then in the middle of that, we're going to talk about making disciples. So, number one, the authority of Christ. It's super interesting and also really neat when you stop and think about it that Jesus doesn't start with a command. He starts with a claim. He doesn't start with the command. He starts with a claim. He says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is amazing. And when we read through Matthew, just, just Matthew alone, okay? So in the book of Matthew, we got chapter 4, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 17, chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 26, chapter 27, and chapter 28. All of these 
point to and establish the fact that Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. He has authority over the demons. He has authority over the, the earth and the wind and the waves. He told the waves to stop and they stopped. He has authority over sickness. Um, and he has authority over sin. So one of these examples I want to look at, look at Matthew. So flip, flip back to Matthew chapter 9. So Matthew chapter 9, okay? Jesus stepped into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought, brought to him a paralytic lying on the mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, that's amazing in itself, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. Awesome, awesome. So sin, he has authority over it. Sickness, he has authority over it. It's just amazing. So Jesus starts, this last thing he's going to say to his disciples, not by giving a command, but first making a what? A claim. And this is a huge claim. This isn't, this isn't a, a flippant claim. You know, This isn't me being like, well, uh, I'm the best break dancer in the state of Texas. Or... This one might actually be true. I'm the most normal dancer I've seen in South Texas. Um, but, but, but this claim, this claim isn't just a, a claim that Jesus makes that isn't supported. This claim we read all through Matthew. When he speaks this, when he says this, this claim has been established. It has been established. Not only that, we're going we're to look at several scriptures tonight, so bear with me. Not only that, but flip back. So this is Old Testament. Flip to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Verse Daniel chapter 7. After this one, I'll, I'll just read the rest to you, and you can, you can write them down. All right, here we go. Write it down in your notes. If you don't have it there, you can go back to it later. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Okay. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting domain that will not dominion, sorry, that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this authority that Christ is claiming as his, the disciples know what he's talking about. Because this has been talked about long in their history. That the, that the Savior is going to come and, and, and claim this authority. And so he is claiming this authority. And it's just, it's just incredible. Authority in heaven and earth means he is Lord. That's awesome. Cool. Um, 
Yeah, so, so he's claiming this authority in heaven and on earth, which means that he is Lord. Um, so, so let's think about this, this concept of authority. I, uh, <laughs> I worked at Hobby Lobby uh, when I was in high school. I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I did. Um, and, and don't ask me why they don't have barcodes because they still don't have barcodes, and we had so much merchandise stolen from the store because they didn't have barcodes. It's, it's just crazy. I don't know why it makes checkout twice as long, and they still don't have barcodes, and for whatever reason, they just refuse to get it. So anywho, um, I worked at Hobby Lobby, and uh, I worked in the framing department, and so I did framing and custom framing and all that stuff, cut glass and all kinds of weird stuff. Played with lighter fluid sometimes because we would use lighter fluid to get smudges out. Uh, and then sometimes we would make the ring of fire, except not with bubbles. We would use actual fire and make a ring of fire. Um, yeah, so so if you bring your pictures to Hobby Lobby, that's what we're doing with them in the back is we're, we're waving them over fire. So I worked at Hobby Lobby when I was in high school, and uh, I worked with this guy, and, and uh, his name was Gerald. I really liked Gerald a lot, uh, and he kind of he took me under his wing, and he was an older gentleman and, and kind of showed me a lot of neat stuff. But Gerald was extremely arrogant and didn't think that anyone was his boss and thought that he ran, ran the framing department, and he pretty much just did whatever he wanted. Uh, didn't matter what protocol was, didn't matter what policy was, he just did whatever he wanted. And so um, one day our boss... Uh, our boss was actually, um, his name was, man, I don't even remember. I think it was Austin or something. He, uh, he was going out of town. He was going on vacation. And so he gave his authority to the assistant manager, okay, the next in command. He left and he said, okay, I'm giving you authority over the store in my absence. It's yours. And he left. And so one of the days when the uh, manager was on vacation, uh, the, so, so naturally, Gerald had a lot of problems with authority, and he had had a lot of conflict. And he was kind of on his, his last straw. And uh, one time, Philip, who was the assistant manager, not my brother who's back there, um, Philip came up and asked him to do something, and Gerald mouthed off to him and said something else. Well, wound up, Gerald pushed him, and the assistant manager fired him. Said, okay, you're gone. See ya, and told him to leave. Well, when the manager came back, he's like, where's Gerald? He's like, oh, I fired him. He's like, oh, okay. Because he gave him that authority, okay? So when he left, he gave him that authority, and he had the authority to do that. That's a silly analogy, but it's that, that kind of a concept. So Christ has, has this authority. And because of that, like I said earlier, he is Lord. Um, in Philippians, write it down and I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God exalted him, talking about Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Now this is an awesome, awesome verse for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons it's so cool, we talked a little bit about this last night, is it, it, it states that Jesus is the universal Lord and Savior to all, and we must choose if we are going to confess and submit to him as Lord now, or if we will wait until it's too late. So it's not a question of if he's Lord, he is Lord. It says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So universal Lord and Savior to all, not universalism. Okay, Don't get that confused. Okay, um, We talked a little bit today about universalism. Basically, if you picture a mountain and God's up here, universalism says you can take whatever path you want up the mountain to get to God, and you're there. That is false. That's not wrong. That's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what Jesus teaches. It's the exact opposite. 
Jesus is the only way. So imagine if God, who is up here on the mountain, okay, looks down and sees that nobody can get up the mountain, so he himself comes down to show people, hey, this is the way up. This is the only way up the mountain. No other path works. That's Christianity. There's one way up the mountain. Universalism says, yeah, you can take whatever path you want. You'll get there. Wrong. False. It's Scripture says the opposite, which is politically incorrect. But that's all right. Because it's the word of God. So, um, another interesting thing uh, that, that we want to look at here is, so this word, so, so we're back in Matthew now, okay? Back in Matthew. Um, when he, this, this term, he says for uh, make disciples of all nations, okay? This term, all nations, it's not nations like you and I, our concept of nation, Okay? Um, it's actually much more significant than that. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay? The word that's used here is, um, again, I'm probably saying this wrong, but that's okay. Ethnos, which means family or people group. Okay? Family or people group. So, naturally, that leads us to the question, what is a people group? Okay? I'm going to read to you a definition and I get this definition from uh, the joshuaproject.net. They, they do a lot of statistics and research on people groups. Uh, and so this is their definition for people group. Okay, um, A significantly large grouping of individuals who perceive themselves to have a common affinity with one another. Okay, so a people group, there's tons of them. Well, not tons, but specifically, there are 9,760 people groups, approximately, in the world today. And of those 9,760 groups, that amounts to about 7,178,294,000 people. Okay. Now, of those 9,760 groups, there are 4,084 of those groups, which amounts to approximately 2,998,000,000, oh, let me try that again, 2,998,216,000 people that are unreached. What is an unreached people group? Okay, let's look at this definition. So an unreached or least reached people is a is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize these to these people groups uh, and kind of the standard they made for establishing what a unreached people group is again I get all of this from uh, joshuaproject.net so by they're the ones who are doing these measurements any uh, any uh, people that have uh, less than 2% of evangelical Christians. So any people group that has less than 2% of evangelical Christians, they, they consider an unreached people group. Does that make sense? Did you see the breakdown of the definitions and, w and where we get those figures from? So, so a lot of people. And this accounts for the world population. This is looking at the world population. So, going back, taking what all we just established, this is what Jesus is saying when he's making this claim. Okay? When Jesus, when Jesus is claiming that he has um, all authority in heaven and in earth, and then he is instructing us to go make disciples of all nations or all people groups, which is encompassing of the entire population of the world, what Jesus is saying by this command for us to go make disciples, he is saying and he is claiming he has authority over every single person in the world. Did you track that? Do you track how you get to that conclusion by looking at scripture? He is not just saying 
I have some authority here, and I have some authority in heaven, and, and the Jews were good with, and I got authority over there, um, and maybe some of the Gentiles. No, he is saying he has authority over every single living person in the entire world. So this claim that Jesus makes is huge, right? It's huge. And this is essential for us to understand before we go on to the next part. Because if we don't establish that, and again, Jesus being very intentional in what he's saying, if we don't establish that first, then this next part, what we're about to look at, makes no sense at all. Because the next thing he does, so here's the second point we get to. So the first one was what? Authority of Christ. We got that established? Okay, second thing, the command of Christ, okay, the command of Christ, this is what he says, he says, therefore, this is verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, who tells them to do what? Go make disciples. Yes. Go make disciples. Christ's command for his followers, it is not this comfortable call to become a Christian and be baptized and sit on our butt and do nothing. Okay? That's not what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to go make disciples. This is really awesome. So again, you don't have to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 4, this is, this is just mind-blowing to me. So in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 19, okay? So if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, write it down. This is when Jesus is calling the first disciples. As Jesus was walking, so I'm starting in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So right off the bat, Jesus tells him, you're going to be my disciple, and you're going to be a disciple maker. Because I'm going to teach you how to go be fishers of men. Matt Green translation, I'm going to teach you how to make disciples. So right off the bat, he tells the disciples, look. Here's what we're going to do. For this next period of time that you're walking with me, this is what I'm going to show you how to do. I'm going to show you how to make disciples. So, if you're taking notes, write this down. Every disciple is a disciple maker. If you are a follower of Christ, if you proclaim to be a Christian, you are one who makes disciples. So naturally, what question does that bring us to? Yeah, excellent. How do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? This is a perfectly valid question. So I'm going to give you three things on how we make disciples. We look at what Jesus did, okay? The first one is pretty obvious. We share the word, right? We speak it. We speak about the gospel. We tell people the truth. We tell people about this path. Think back to the mountain analogy. We tell them about this path, the one and only path to God. Okay? I mean, that's pretty straightforward. There's not really much to expound on on that. There's not really a funny story I need to tell you. It's pretty simple. We talk about it. We share it. The second thing, okay, is we show the word, okay? We don't just read the word of God. We don't just tell people about the word. We live it. We live it. The word says that it's living and active. We live it out, okay? And this is where a lot of us fall flat. Now, 
I'm not talking about sinning, okay? I'm not talking about us messing up, okay? For we have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. What I'm talking about is that we are not showing others, intentionally showing others how to follow Christ. Here it is, Chris. I love this quote from David Platt. I'm convinced that every Christian will plateau in our growth with Christ until we give our lives for the sake of others in making disciples. I love that quote. I love that quote. And here's what's really awesome. The Lord has given us a great opportunity to see this demonstrated because all of you were here last night. And so all of you are going to get to witness what this looks like. Where's Caroline? Caroline, you asked me a question last night. Okay? Matthew, chapter 10. You asked me in verse 23. Okay, so the second part of the verse. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. You asked me a question. I had no idea what the answer was. So I went and figured it out. I went and asked. I went and read. I went and looked. So here is, there are four trains of thought. I say I figured it out. That's kind of arrogant. But I went and read. The Lord, the Lord was gracious to show me. So there's four trains of thought to this verse, Caroline. The first is that and for all of these trains of thought, there, are, there is scriptural support. Okay? The first is that Jesus is, it's talking about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Okay? So when he was crucified, dead and buried, and rose again. That's the first train of thought of, of thinking of this is what Jesus is saying. Second train of thought, excuse me, is the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost. So when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, that this might have been what Jesus was referring to. Third train of thought is coming judgment in 70 A.D. when it was just when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. So some people think that maybe this is what Jesus talked about. And then the fourth train of thought, which is the one I think we're most familiar with, is the second coming of Christ at the end of the age. So there's four kinds of theologies or thoughts about this verse yes his coming judgment on Jerusalem in 70 AD when it was destroyed by the Romans so what just happened why did we take a rabbit trail and talk about stuff that I wasn't talking about tonight because this is exactly what I'm talking about when we are showing the word, when we are walking alongside people, when we are making disciples, it causes us to grow in our faith. It causes us to learn things. It causes us to know we've got to know how to pray. We have to know how to talk with our Father. We have to know how to read the word, how to study the word. And it's not bad that we don't at some point, but when we are, when we are actively making disciples, it's like, man, i got to know how to do this stuff. So I'm going to do it. It's, it's almost like motivation. Jesus has got this thing rigged. As we're making disciples, we are in, in, so, in doing so, we are becoming and being disciples. Does that make sense? Do you see the, the concept behind that? Recently, I think it's been a little over a year now, you guys uh, were without, your youth pastor left, Jeff left, okay, and Jeff was a great guy, I had an opportunity to hang out with him last week, he's still a great guy, uh, he loves the Lord, uh, he is continuing to do what God has called him to do, and I support him and encourage him in that any way that I can, but you guys were left without a youth pastor, adult leaders, 
I have a question for you. In this season, would you say that you have seen exponential growth in your life as you have had to step up and lead? Yeah. That's how it's meant to be. That's how it's meant to to happen. And so here's the thing that's absolutely devastating, is what we see in our culture and what we see in our churches, and I'm not going to say across the board, but in a lot of our churches, is we see members, church members, who are not making disciples and who think, oh, that's the pastor's job. Oh, that's the church staff's job. No, that's the Christian's job. And so what we're seeing, and this this breaks my heart because I've, I've met people like this. And I don't say this judgmentally. I say this with a broken heart. We see people who are in their 60s, 70s, who have been a Christian their whole life and have never shared their faith, have never made a disciple, have never walked with someone and showed them how to read the word. So Christian, hear me. If you're going to follow Christ, you are called by Christ to show others how to do it with you. I also had a great privilege in getting to sit down with a lot of you not too long ago with your, uh, your council or your committee, I think, and just talk about life, talk about my view on things. And the constant thing that I heard and that I have heard for a long time is we want to go deeper. We want to go deeper. So I hope your tissues are warm because you're about to get a spiritual spanking. Just a little one. You want to go deeper? Go make disciples. You want to go deeper in your faith? Invite others to do it with you. You don't have to know all this knowledge. You don't have to be this amazing theologian. And we're going to get to that in a minute. You don't have to have anything other than Christ to make disciples. You want to go deeper in your faith? Make disciples. Because remember, Jesus has got this thing rigged. As we're making disciples, we are being disciples, and we're growing in our faith. Does that make sense? Y'all got this terrified look on your face. It's okay. It's all right. I know I can be a little intense sometimes. I'm sorry. But it's true. You want to go deeper in your faith? Make disciples. Be in community with people outside of this group and invite them into this amazing thing that you have. I began talking about bragging on you guys, saying you guys are truly blessed to have an amazing, amazing fellowship, an amazing uh, group of brothers and sisters that encourage you and spur one, one another on. And so invite others to be in that with you and to be discipled as you disciple them with you. You have an amazing gift from the Lord. So invite them into that. Third thing on how we make disciples is we teach the word. Okay, so what was the first one? Share the word. Pretty self-explanatory. Second one, show the word. And, And let me pause right here. I also know for a fact that there are some of you who are doing that, and that's awesome. And I want to commend you and encourage you in that. And that's great, okay? So I'm not an entire negative Nancy. Okay, third thing. Teach the word, okay? When we apply this concept in teaching the word, it changes the way we read the word. It changes the way we listen to teaching because we're taking notes and we're reading the word and we're listening to sermons or whatsoever Weird terminology there. That's okay. We're doing it so that we can turn around and teach it. It's really awesome when you look at places, uh, rural places around the world that don't have uh, the means to come to a local gathering every single week. 
but have to receive information in chunks, much like you are getting right now, they write it all down as much as they can. And the reason they're paying such close attention is because they know that they have to turn around and they have to go teach this to their village. And so this is a, this is a crucial thing because when we, when we begin to take that and really live that out, it changes the way we take notes. It changes the way we read the word because we're reading it with the mindset of, I'm going to teach this to someone else. I'm going to take what I learned at camp the validity of the word, and I'm going to teach this to others. I'm going to make disciples. Okay, so that's how we make disciples. So now we're back on the three things we're pulling from what Jesus says. Okay, so that's the, the three inside the three. Now we're on the back outside three. <coughs> so, recapping. What's the first one? The authority of Christ. Excellent. Second one, the command of Christ. Here's the third one. Depending on the presence of Christ. And again, this one's pretty self-explanatory. And this should bring you great comfort as it is intended to. And it's why it's the last thing that Jesus says. What's the last thing he says? Somebody read it. Starting in uh, verse 20. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Boldly sharing your faith. Boldly making disciples. And let's put it in this context. Bravery to defend the word. Bravery to be politically incorrect. Bravery to confess your sins and walk humbly in the light. And bravery to share your faith and make disciples is not based on you and who you are and your past. It's based on Christ and what he has done, and it's based on his power. And so we must be dependent on that. We hit on that a little bit today uh, in our um, church, church breakout groups. We were talking about, you know, sharing our faith and, and, all, this, and all this stuff. And, and it's, not, it's not this, I'm beating the word of God over your head, forcing you to become a Christian. Jonathan shared an awesome, uh, I thought it was hilarious. He said that, he used to say, all right, you and me, let's fight. If I win, you're going to convert. If I lose, I'll convert. Lord, give me strength, okay? It's not, it, it, that's not it. We can't force people to choose and accept the truth. Nor are we called to in Scripture. And that's a, that's a big thing, I think, that gets misconstrued and, and is, is deceitful a lot of times. We are not called... Christ does not call us to force people to turn because we can't do that. We are called to share. We are called to show, and we are called to teach. And the grade that comes up on the exam is not your responsibility. Okay? We are called to show, we are called to share, and we are called to teach. You can't force people to accept it. That's the Spirit's job, and I am thankful for it. And that's really relieving and freeing to us because it doesn't then require us to have to be this stern, hateful um, individual that is trying to force someone down their throat and trying to do it with force and power, but instead it, it enables us to be brave and not compromise what the Word says but even if they disagree, we can continue to love them. And we don't have to cut off relationship with them. Now, here, here's uh, one word of caution, okay? 
we're really good at being friendly. We're really good at being accepting. We're really good at being loving. And we're really good at the relationship aspect. And that's good. That's a good thing. That's not bad. But at some point, Christ's name has to be spoken. Or it's no different than any other friendship you have in this world. At some point, and I would say sooner rather than later, some might disagree with me, that's okay. You've got to share your faith. And I think, I think we, we kind of miss that a little bit. And we're, we're really good about the relationship part. I, well, I want them to be my friend. And, and we're good friends. And, and we're, we're great. Remember back to that quote we heard last night. How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them the truth? Okay, so at some point, we have got to share our faith. So that's my word of caution, is that yes, relationship is important. Absolutely it's important. And that's a great thing to do to establish that relationship. But at some point, you have got to speak the name of Christ. And you've got to point them to the truth and show them that, that one path that goes up the mountain to God. So, are you, are you overwhelmed? Okay, well, here's what we're going to do, okay? I am really big on, it, it drives me nuts when we hear truth, when we hear challenges, uh, when we hear the word of God, and we walk away and we don't do anything about it. That aggravates me to all ends. And, I, and I'm in that camp. I do it too. So I'm going to challenge you tonight. There's a big bucket of rocks up here. We're not going to throw them at each other. I know some of you are hoping that. We're going to stone people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do, okay? The band's going to come back up. Ben, that's your cue. And uh, we're going to worship through music, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going we're gonna to spend some time worshiping through music before you break out into your small groups. And here's what I want you to do. Now, I don't, I don't have a lot of Sharpies. I only got four, so you all are going to have to be patient. But I want you to, t to take a rock. There's nothing significant about the fact that it's a rock. I tried to think of a clever way, and I was like, eh, it's just a rock. Um, but here's what I want you to do. I want you, and I'm going to challenge you, okay? So this is a challenge, and I hope that you will be brave. I pray that you will be brave. I pray that the Spirit empowers you to be brave tonight. I want you to write down the name of someone you know that you're going to share the gospel with and that you're going to disciple and that you're going to say, hey, Come along with me and let's follow Christ. And then that's not all you're going to do. Then I want you to give it to somebody. And I want you all to exchange rocks. That's really funny. I want you to exchange rocks. And there's a reason why I want you to do that. Because we were not called to do this alone. So in theory, you will each have someone else's rock with someone else's name on it. And so then this is what I want you to do. As you go home from camp so that we, this is something to help carry what we've learned to camp. I'm a visual person, so this also, also helps as a reminder when you see it. I know some people think that cheese is cheesy, but it actually really helps me because I'm a visual learner. As you see it, it can remind you, man, I need to be praying for so-and-so. I need to be praying for Hannah and her friend Clarice. If you know Clarice. <clears throat> but I have Hannah's rock, and she wrote down Clarice. And so I'm going to pray for Hannah, and I'm going to pray for Clarice today. And I'm going to pray, Lord, that you would just soften Clarice's heart to your word, and that you would give Hannah bravery and empower her to share and build a relationship with her and to speak the name of Christ, speak the name of truth into her life. And Holy Spirit, that you would flood Clarice's heart and that you would transform her heart. 
And that's, that's the theory behind it. Is, and then when I see Hannah, I say, hey, how's Clarice doing? How are you doing with Clarice? How's, how's that going? And so that's my challenge to you tonight. Is we're disciples of Christ. We're followers of Christ. So let's be disciple makers. And let's not just have this great info overload weekend and do nothing about it. But let's hold each other accountable. Let's do this in community together. And let's go do what Christ has called us to do and make disciples. Does that make sense? Any confusion on that? Okay. Uh, if you want to, you're welcome to stack the chairs. I know it's kind of nice to have some room. Um, if you want to just stand, that's fine too. Um, but we're going to just spend some time worshiping before we break out into our small groups. And then uh, wh- one more thing. One more thing. Philip, Philip today uh, really challenged you guys also. So you got two challenges. This is great. Really talk to y'all about confessing and, and that stuff. And I want y'all to do that in your small groups. Uh, and I encourage you to do that in your small groups because we are still doing small groups tonight, correct? Okay. But for this time, I really want us to be intentional with this time and pray for these people. Pray for these people that these rocks represent. Praying for their hearts and praying for you guys as you get ready to go home and share the truth with them, okay? And then in small groups, you can have that time to really just share and and confess to one another, okay? Cool with that? All right.